We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys. Comprehensive Breakdown Day is upon us. We got all the information from the game that you could possibly need from your Browns 27-20 win over the Cardinals on Sunday. Starts with an opener, me and Andrew Spade, with what we learned from the game. Plenty of detail and thoughts inside that. Then we shift over, talk through the details, and give you everything you need to know about this win before we shift over to the big matchup looming with the Ravens this Sunday. Let's get started right now with your comprehensive review. Everything you need to know about the Browns 27-21 over the Cardinals on the latest OBR film breakdown. Watson sidesteps, puts his back into it, wide open, it's Cooper! Cooper's still going! Home run pass as Watson passes his first test. Big handoff tune, football is knocked out, live football, and Cleveland has it with Garrett! Fewest yards in a game for the Cardinals since 1955, 27 to nothing the final, as Cleveland holds them to 58 yards of total offense. This is what you're supposed to do to a football team that is clearly overmatched. What up, guys? Welcome in. It's your Tuesday Comprehensive Breakdown episode, which means we're going to start with an opener of what we learned from the Browns' 27-0 beatdown of the Cardinals. Now, a game like this where I think the outcome was almost predetermined in a way, it's any given Sunday is always a part of things, Andrew, but when it is sort of almost predetermined in this way where it's Clayton Toon, it's a rookie, it's a bad offense, all the stuff that we thought. Now, the defense gave the Browns some fits in different ways early in the game. They obviously adjusted as it went on. But, you know, especially when I do the chalk talk here that I'm going to do a little bit later, which you guys can go back as you're listening to this and watch it, there was just a lot of running. Like, the Browns ran like 73 plays, but I don't know, 25, 30 of those were just plays they're trying to milk the clock. There's not much to learn from it. And in this game in general, there's not much to learn for it, a pretty vanilla approach. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is we will have a lot more learned when we do this show a week from now and then the two weeks from now episode than we will a game like this. But nonetheless, not to depreciate a dominating victory or what is going on for the team currently. So we want to hit on some topics of things we learned from the game and some, you know, little bigger stuff that we learned kind of in general where they're at right now. So in in the bigger part of this scheme, Andrew, is they're five and three. Mm -hmm. I think we all know what the disadvantages have been to this point. I think that I've seen people say Kevin Stefanski's closer to coach of the year than being fired because it's still a hot topic and anything goes wrong. People want to fire Kevin after any loss. 
And I, I definitely understand the coach of the year side of things. He's in the discussion. There have been some national people starting to pick up that smoke a little bit. I'm sure you've noticed it too, where mm-hmm. talking about them being five and three at this one's a better record than the bills five and four, right? You know, bills right. have super bowl expectations. I know they've dealt with injuries, but guess who else has dealt with injuries? Cleveland Browns. So I think that, and you brought this up, Andrew, this is your top. So I want to let you riff on him, but he's done a really good job here. And, Talk to me about ways in which you're seeing him do a really good job, not just as a play caller or whatever, but as a, you know, I think you and I get very wrapped into tying Kevin yeah. to the play caller, mm-hmm. but that's not just the job. It's bigger than that. Right. Yeah. I think it's the, it's probably the part, you know, that, that has been, you know, his, his best effort for so far this season is the, is the leadership piece, which is the, the part that I think we talked publicly, you know, we talked pretty extensively about having concerns about coming into the season, the culture of the team, some of the issues that have cropped up over the past years with with players developing, you know, some public animosity towards the team, or feeling like they're not being used properly, those sorts of things. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we have seen this season the team pulling together in the same direction in in really every game. I think the only game where it looked like they weren't, you know, ready for it was the was the Baltimore game, and that so much is a product of just the quarterback switch you know, sort of taking everybody's legs out from underneath them. Right. Um, other than that, the effort has been really consistent and it has been really high, you know, and I think that the physicality that they're playing with, I think that the attention to detail has gotten better as the season has gone on. Uh, you, you, you know, there was a few games early where penalties were a significant factor and those have not really recurred. Now that the quarterback situation is, is hopefully getting ironed out the turnover stuff on offense gets under control a little bit and so it becomes a lot harder to poke holes in Kevin Stefanski as a head coach right because they are not making the sort of mistakes that cost them games now I you know yesterday is not a game that really proves this point because uh it felt like you said it felt like they were always going to win but I will say there are examples every week of teams that don't take their opposition seriously in the NFL and kind of stumble into a game are trailing at halftime and have to put out, you know, a genuine effort into the third and fourth quarter to win a football game that they should have won easily. The Browns did not make that mistake yesterday. They came prepared. They were ready from the jump on both sides of the ball and it was never in doubt. And I think that again is a testament to his ability to keep the team focused on the task at hand. And it's, I have to say that it's really at the top of the list of reasons why I'm, you know, starting to become quite optimistic about the second half of the year, right? Because they have dealt with so much adversity over the first half and they end up five and three. I think it feels like it bodes really well for where they're going. If they can continue to refocus on a weekly basis and be at their best again the next week, regardless of what happened the week before. Yeah, I think there's still some stuff about the scheme that we're going to dive into in the second half of the show, but from the head coaching perspective and what they're overcoming and being in games that they probably have no business being in, you know, tightly contested games, the team is all in. They've bought in. They believe in him. You're right about now the trajectory with Watson back. I think the second thing you take away from this game is that, you know, Watson still has it. There were certainly rough portions at the beginning of the game, but the deep throws that we saw, you know, taking some hits, which I don't like still, you know, day later, 
some some really ugly ones that he took. He just and even Amari Cooper said it after the game, man, just slide. <laughs> but you know, him taking a couple hits, meaningful hits, they were not soft. And still being able to push the ball downfield a little bit. Obviously, again, this was not a clean game. There was rust in the performance, but you like you said, Andrew, there are still reasons here to be excited because you know, the ball up the right sideline, the ball up the left sideline. There was a ball off play action on, a, on an Amari Cooper sort of return route back to the left. He's working left to right, hits the hash, returns. He puts it in a very tight window. Uh, the zip is there. I didn't think his arm looked, I wouldn't say any more abnormal than other times I've seen him pre-injury. And if that's the case, you do feel like continuity reps playing together can put them in a place to still achieve some of the things we talked about. This was a good outcome, largely because of what I'm talking about. I don't really care about the helmet ball or some of the other. I needed to see that Watson could still throw it, could still smile, could still believe in himself. And I think we got all of those things. So that's a huge thing to take away as to what you're talking about, paired with a bot in team, yeah. that you start imagining the ceiling can can reach right. those heights we we sort of dreamed of. And it starts this weekend with this this game this tough game in baltimore well it it uh, it does i i I said this last night on the post game show it's also not the end of the season if they lose it's probably the end of their chances to win the division correct because they they, they'd have to catch baltimore and then and then uh, get a game ahead of them which would almost it wouldn't be mathematically impossible but it would be a, a big mountain to climb but you know that that's not the only way to make the playoffs that's not the only way to make an impact and considering where they've been over the first half of the season you know i i think you have to look at the second half of the season as almost a second you know a second one right where they're they're getting the quarterback back he seems to be as you said you know rounding into health and the quarterback and the coach seem to be at the best place they've been in their relationship so far through their tenure so we've said for a long time that's the most important thing, right? Uh, the the defensive stuff is great. We love watching a dominant defense. You know they they need to continue to run the ball well, but the head coach quarterback mind meld unlocks more doors than anything else combined. Really, that's just how the NFL works. So, um, I, you know, I think the optimism is high, and I think even if the Baltimore game, you know, doesn't go their way, and they, you know, they. They're in it, but they aren't able to to get the deal done. You know, they've got another chance the next week against Pittsburgh, which becomes a must-win game. Uh, and then they they have some some winnable games down the stretch. I, I know that, you know, I think earlier in the year, this, this second half of the schedule looked easier than it does now. But, you know, there's certainly still a Bears team on this schedule that that feels pretty similar to this Cardinals game that we just watched in terms of how easy it should be. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't take the Rams or the Broncos overly seriously. I think it's tough because they're both on the road, but I think those are two very winnable games. And then you start talking about, you know, a Texans team that that obviously can be good on their day, but I think can also be gotten. Anyway, you can go through the whole schedule, but I, I think the point is is that if the quarterback and, and head coach are, are where they were yesterday and they can keep that sort of uh, – symbiosis going then they're going to be in a lot of these games and they're going to have a chance to win a lot of these games if they can get to 10 wins i think that you have to feel really good about a wild card berth and then now you're talking about a team with a defense that's playing really well 
you know, hopefully still at that point and a quarterback that's playing really well, that's the recipe to winning in the playoffs, which is a different conversation, but that's where they're trying to go. That's where they're trying to go. And it feels, I think the big thing for me about yesterday is I didn't expect to feel so good based on what we saw yesterday about the chances of them getting there by the end of the year. Yeah. Can you go five and three again? If you go five and three again, and then you have a coin flip final game with Cincinnati, you got a real, I mean, you know, you're maybe even in at that point and who knows what could happen. There's so many things change, you know, talking about, Denver and Chicago and the rant, like, yeah, like those look like whatever right now. And that's true. And then it's probably holding true for the most, but you know, one player misses a game, right? right? Exactly. Like Stafford, the Rams without Stafford are nowhere near Different what they team. are with him. Right. Yep. It's so there's just a lot of moving parts there. And I think that there's, but to your point, there are a lot of winnable games. They're going to have to travel to do it. There are a lot of winnable games remaining on the schedule. And anytime you have a defense that can do this, what they're doing, it is going to put them in games and the offense just being competent. I know you and I have talked about that a lot, but getting Watson to show yesterday that they could be competent and that Cardinals defense doesn't have a, a ton of pieces that are going to be large portions of their future, but they got guys out there playing hard, fighting for jobs, trying to show that they are a part of the future. And there is some talent in the secondary, especially that is going to be a part of the long term for them. So it was uh, encouraging. And I, I think, again, you know, I guess Watson could have come out and CJ Strouded, you know, strouded it up and <laughs> throw for 470. But that's that's not what any of us were expecting in terms of coming off this shoulder situation. We wanted to just feel like he could still do some of the things that he has done and feel comfortable about like, OK, he's going to start in perpetuity moving forward. This looks good. He's healthy and he's not 100 percent. He even said it himself, but he's in a better place. And that's the most encouraging part of what we learned, in my opinion. Now, the defense is different, right? Clayton Toon and. You know, the Browns are built. This is what my one of my bigger defensive takeaways. They're built to dominate bad offensive lines and bad teams. They're just built for this. They're they're going to compress you uh, all over the field. They're going to create chaos for the quarterback at the at the point of delivery, right? And they're going to overwhelm. They're just going to overwhelm. Seventeen pressures, seven sacks. They played more. We'll talk about it in a second because that's the other takeaway from the defense. A lot of zone, but like this is just a defense that's built. If your offense isn't what I would call layered and nuanced and you're almost not predictable, but the way you structure pre-snap to post-snap is not very much different. What I mean by that is you don't have exotic motions or quarterbacks who are trying to get the football out hyper-aggressive. Like they're going to torture you. If you're going to three-step drop and they're going to torture you, if you can't run block them consistently for 60 minutes, they're going to get after you. So again, you're kind of being careful because you don't want to say a, 58 yard performance doesn't matter. That's not what we're saying, but I didn't learn anything about the defense. I didn't already know for yeah. the most part, they right. are definitely built to overwhelm these. Teams. And that's a kudos situation to Andrew Barry and building it mm-hmm. now where they're mm-hmm. at, but they were I mean, the Cardinals had no chance this is the most hopeless feeling for a side of the football. I can remember seeing man. Yeah. It, it, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, like there's lopsided and then there's what happened yesterday. Like even, when you talk and about the film tells that story, yeah. like it, it tells it too. I just want to be clear about that. Yeah. No, and I, I, that, that is great to hear. Right. Because I think that, like you said, they have this sort of avalanche ability on defense, right. Where it, it, you know, one thing becomes another and they start playing with confidence and then nobody can kind of get out of their way. I think the big question for the defense and I, you know, this is going to be a big talking point all week is how they translate that to games against the elite teams. And, you know, the Baltimore Ravens have earned that, that title over the past few weeks. So I think there's lots of things the Browns can do to frustrate Lamar Jackson, to frustrate the, the Ravens offense. And I'm excited. Honestly, I'm excited to see this matchup because I think, I think the Browns can 
be successful on both sides, but it's going to take, you know, a really complete effort for them to get that win. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of the bigger mid season games the Browns have been in, in a while, because I think even if you go back to 2020, when they had the playoff run, even at this point in the year, there was that win against Cincinnati on the road that kind of put them back on track when they lost OBJ but it didn't have the same pressure because they had come off a, a really bad loss the week before. I think it was in in Pittsburgh and it kind of dampened expectations. And so I don't think that there's really been a comparable place for the Browns in the Kevin Stefanski area era. Maybe there was, you know, I, I remember the letdown game around Halloween from, from against the Steelers uh, in Cleveland two years ago was pretty tough, but Again, Mayfield was struggling, and I, I don't know. So this is an interesting one because I think there's a lot on it. And 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 again, specifically with the defense, they've done so much that you you almost have to believe that they're going to put themselves in a position to have at least some success on Sunday. So it's a question of how much they can impact Lamar and, and the Ravens' offense. Yeah, and to kind of close out on what they did in this game, like 10 snaps of man coverage to 38 zone snaps, like we, we learned a takeaway there is – they're clearly trying to get better at, at whatever zone concepts they want to run. They ran a lot of cover two, uh, which is not unexpected in long down and distances. They ran some cover six quarter, quarter, half stuff. They put it to the field, which is a bit different, right? That's usually labeled more cover nine, but uh, they, they clearly wanted to, to sort of get better at zone, keep everything in front of them, not let more of those risk reward coverages that our man, something pops loose because, you know, Hollywood Brown can run. Rondale Moore can run. You don't want to see those things happen, especially when you just really want to keep everything in front of you because your front four can create such chaos. So I think that a large part of that is what they're going to be doing, Andrew, when they go to Baltimore and just wanted to clean that stuff up. I don't know that it'll be a trend. I know that they didn't play a ton of man against Baltimore, and it's really not wise to do that much with Lamar because of the way he can get out of the pocket and create chaos with guys with their back turned. So they focused on it. I think they were good enough at it. They're fine, right? They didn't really allow much downfield. Uh, I don't, you know, the pressure helps cover up everything, but right. for the most part, I feel really good about that plan. I feel really good about their preparation. They didn't do much exotic. They didn't show a whole lot. We'll see what their plan is with Baltimore here. But, you know, that's a takeaway I have about the the, the defense is that we learned they want to play more zone. They still refuse to play quarters, <laughs> like literally refuse one <laughs> snap all season. It's kind of weird in an offense or a defense driven in the NFL right now by playing quarters a lot. Schwartz is like, I will never do it. So, uh, yeah, that part was, uh, is always kind of remaining funny to me. But, yeah, they're cover three, cover two team. That's what they're going to do in the zone stuff. And uh, they're obviously going to still be an aggressive man team. But I think situationally they may be getting a bit more picky about when they do that. So encouraging to be able to play varieties of stuff, given some teams maybe – trying to force their hand with that with hurry up in two minutes and stuff like that. But that yeah. was a really clean secondary game. And Denzel Ward's playing really good football, man. Really good yeah. football, which is encouraging after last year. Question on the secondary for you. While we're on the secondary, I, I was just looking at um, Cameron Mitchell's PFF grade is through the roof. He's got a, he graded out as a 91.3 yesterday. Yeah. Well, a... it was nice to see the PFF grades were all high because like <laughs> you've watched them give up like 110 yards and have a bunch of guys grade yeah. poorly. Right. So yeah, they, they, they were, uh, yeah, that the great. We've been through this too much with the great. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess they, my they question for you was how you thought Cameron Mitchell looked on tape. He looks comfortable, and that yeah. he looks comfortable, and that more of a natural continues slot. to continues to point at where mm-hmm. 
the whole thing with Greg eventually can go and what that means. And that doesn't mean Greg is a guy you're getting rid of necessarily, but he's an asset that you could perhaps use for something, something else. Or, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I I don't, I don't even know if that's a thing, if they can trade him or you you, you presume that this is like fantasy football or Madden at times where you can just ship a play. Oh, he's a 77 overall. I can trade (laughs) like there's gotta be a fit in a team that wants him and all that stuff. And then there's the fifth year option. And uh, they're just in an interesting spot and and Greg is good. He's not bad. He just, Mm -hmm at times you you're kind of left to think is this a spot where some other team in a in a cornerback desperate that's right league yep. could be interested in him for something that could help you in another area so that certainly is uh is something that we're keeping an eye on long term so mm-hmm. all right two more things before we get out of here uh that we learned we learned that james Prochet is a good punt returner and uh although he played uh donovan people's jones dress up looked the exact same essentially wearing that number 11 i even think they had the same face mask like it was uh again like the first return happened and i genuinely had to be like oh i forgot he's wearing number 11 because i thought that was donovan for a split second so he was decisive good uh quick up field i really like that man and i know he said it yesterday too but we definitely learned that they have a punt returner that you can trust and he can gain 10 10 yards of return if there's an open window to gain some yardage those you know, again, said it yesterday, cutting anything in the fifties down to the forties, as far as net, net, net punt yardage is really strong stuff. And I was encouraged by it. So if they clean up the penalties, they, they would have had a real positive situation on punt return stuff yesterday. And that'll be a big factor uh, come, come this next Sunday when they need sure. to fight for every single yard of field position, you know? Yeah. yeah the combo of a, a punt returner who's given you 10 yards on the, on that side. And then a punter who kind of has been giving them an extra 10 yards because he's just mm-hmm. booming the ball. Yeah. Now you really are. You're even if you're trading punts, you're trading twenty yards of field position. So yeah, I mean, I bring it up probably too often. There was a game last year against Baltimore in Baltimore that I think the Browns lost exclusively because of that sort of field position flip flop, and uh, the the Ravens were returning the ball better than the Browns on that day and yeah. punting the ball better, and it it cost them the game because they just kept having really long fields, and the Ravens were starting near midfield with Justin Tucker, so it's almost a free three points every time. So. Yeah, it's. I appreciate that they have been. The front office has been more diligent in addressing some of these obvious problems. I think the Donovan Peoples Jones trade, in retrospect, is about making room on the roster for a returner. And it's. I think the thinking is essentially he's a free agent at the end of the year. We need a roster spot for a returner. We don't want to cut any of these guys. We can get something for for Donovan. So you move on. He's happy because he's going to get an opportunity in Detroit starting next week. And now the Browns have a legitimate return option, which they just did not previous to this. Yeah, and they think Cedric Tillman can go out there and just do the cardio that he was already doing anyway. So, you know, that that's another element to the whole thing. Yeah, he, uh, he played a know, ton of snaps and he had one catch, right? So it's the, it's the full target. Donovan Peoples-Jones experience. Now, I almost wish exactly they'd given right. Tillman DPJ's uniform because it's like that's what I'm used to seeing is him just running up and down the field. It's just a frustrating. They got to figure that out, and I think that I talk about it again in the comprehensive stuff. But the, the they're just not getting anything out of that position. The route stuff is not like the the Cardinals covered everything really well, and I think that some of that is the nuance of what the Browns are doing, and they didn't really. And I don't know if they might be holding on to it. They didn't do any motion. They were so limited in movement. Like, and again, this is probably hey, we don't want to give anything away type of stuff here not that they're good enough to just punt games essentially and say this sort of stuff and back pocket things but i have to think the lack of movement the lack of creativity was some of the things that they were doing and and literally you know leaning into hey we saw this play 
we drew it up in the dirt. Like the, these are things that tell me, at least I'm hoping Andrew, that they're holding on to some things that they can use to create some chaos for Baltimore because that defense is playing really, really well. So you have to have some answers and they're much, much more healthy in the secondary than mm-hmm. they were the first time the Browns found them. Not that the, not that that game, that's actually, it's a discussion we should have this week, but you know, that game in the lack of like who's involved in it and the way that it turned out DTR, like there's not even a point in either team watching much of it from the yes. Browns offense versus Ravens defense side. Yeah. There's not, mm-hmm. not a ton to take away. So that side gets a little bit of a reset. Well, defense there is and we'll talk about that uh, quite a bit this week but uh it's just you know you look back on that one and it's like you know everything that went into that game and the chaos of of Deshaun playing but then not playing and the and the adjusted game it was all a mess so that that could be something that helps the Browns offense at least uh we hope in terms of a repeat uh type of game but anyway last thing I had here is that Hopkins will miss and uh that's pretty rare this year. You know, you, you you really start to get to the point where you think he's automatic. He barely missed. It just just leaked left. It's not sort of the the shank misses we have seen in the past. It was good for him to kick, and uh, I think some pretty it wasn't crazy wind, but it was you know fifteen mile per hour wind yeah, a little breezy. bit more. You get yeah, you get the feel for what that stadium will do with the wind, and he was good all day. He just missed one kick that leaked a little bit to the left, but I guess we have learned that he is not a robot since arriving in Cleveland. He will uh, potentially be. Uh, inaccurate at times not that that's trying to bury i thought the guy should have won afc special teamer of the month but you know anyway that's that's all i have anything else you learned from this one you want to share andrew no i mean i I think you know we we have kind of talked about it a bunch and i think it's it's you don't want to over try and you don't want to overlearn from a game where you know it was so one-sided right because as as much as it felt pretty easy for them to get that win i know that it'll be the opposite for the next two weeks against two divisional opponents. So you don't want to lean too much into a feeling of, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I enjoyed the hell out of watching it. I'll say, I'll say that like when, when you get a real good feel for the fact that their offense can't move the ball as early as the first quarter, it becomes pretty fun to just like check in, watch a few snaps, go back to red zone, check out what's going on there, come back, see what's going, you know, like you can kind of jump around a little bit and, and still have a pretty good sense of what's going on. There's just no nerves, which is uh a pretty unique feeling for a Browns fan to have. So I enjoyed watching it. I wish every game was that way. We know that they won't be. Uh, but I, I think, you know, I go back to what we started with. I just give so much credit to this team for taking care of business because there's so many times that teams, I mean, we, we saw this even a little bit with the Colts game, right? Where the defense thought they could kind of walk out on the field and pick off Gardner Minshew a few times and, and get an easy victory. And they got pushed right to the end. This was the opposite of that. And I think they deserve credit for that. And they're winning at home, which is not a thing they've always done over the years. They're Great really point. giving the people in the home crowd something to really enjoy. So that part of it's awesome. But yeah, to your point, the Cardinals have fought with everybody. They have not really been blown out this year. Exactly. Blown out yeah. in the way that they were dominated. Now, again, they changed the quarterback and they had some running backs hurt, but this was not some entirely different Cardinals team collectively, right? right. So, yep. you know, again, you think the Cowboys don't want that game back that they dropped to them? It's going right. to haunt them in terms of some of the things they're doing with the playoffs. So nonetheless, good stuff, good game overall, really strong performance. Like you said, took care of business. That's the opener. So uh, appreciate Andrew for being here, taking the time to do it. And then we will be right back and we will cover, switch over to the comprehensive breakdown and talk all things that we learned from the metrics and player performance. So we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk defense first. We don't typically do defense first, but anytime you hold a team to 58 total yards, you kind of have to start there. This one... Listen, they were only, I think as far as I can tell, 48 snaps for the Cardinals in this one. One first down on a third down scenario. It's it's an overwhelming stat line, if we're, if we're being honest here. So uh, the, the, the stuff that stood out, 17 pressures, 53.1% of dropbacks had pressure, seven sacks, a whopping 2.3 time to pressure percentage. So the Browns are about... A 60-65% man team in this one playing 80% zone coverage. It's pretty obvious that they wanted to refine some of their zone coverages. They played 15 cover 2 snaps, 21 cover 3 snaps, and 2 cover 6 snaps. Trying to clean up some of that stuff before 
the trip to Baltimore, well, there will be a higher zone percentage team than their norm against Baltimore because you really have to do that against Lamar quite often. Uh, that's the plan, at least. They could they could throw a wrench into that plan as they certainly gave him more zone earlier in the season, too. We'll see what they go with. But they're at least laying a breadcrumb of working on zone coverage at this time, right? So that stood out to me in particular as they just wanted to keep everything in front of them and allow you know, allow their defensive line to feast, which obviously happened, right? You know, the Browns only sent five pressures after Clayton Toon. They didn't feel the need to do it. Toon completed one of three passes in those scenarios. He got sacked in one of them. i sorry, a couple of those led to sacks. It was a very vanilla game plan. It was clear that they knew they could overwhelm the Cardinals front. They didn't need to get crazy. They, they lived in nickel, you know, the 43 snaps. Martin Emerson, Grant Delpit, Juan Thornhill lead that group. Denzel Ward plays 39. Cam Mitchell plays 26. So they did give you some base coverage stuff, but Rodney McLeod gets 21 snaps too. So you're talking about a lot of nickel defense in this one. So that's encouraging stuff. If you're looking at who played the best defensive grades aligned, like I said earlier in the pod, aligned with this one performance-wise, uh, Sione Takitaki in 93.0, great grade from him in 20 snaps. 91.8 from Shelby Harris, his best performance in a Browns uniform this year. Two tackles for loss. Obviously had the sack, strip sack, three stop tackles, uh, all of which is really great stuff. Nice performance. Cam Mitchell in the slot, 26 snaps. Uh, like I said, 21 of which came from the slot, three in the box. He was around the interior of the defense in 91.3, 90.4 coverage grade. He also had three stop tackles, looked really comfortable, encouraging stuff from Cam Mitchell. Miles Garrett, 89.6, a 90.0 pass rush grade, three three pressures, two hurries. He had a sack. So, again, he's got the best overall defensive grade in the NFL right now, any position, best pass rush grade by several points as well. He's, he's really making a defensive player of the year candidate run. Uh, he's in the middle of it right now. 30 uh, snaps for Zadarius Smith, an 87.9, 86.1 from Denzel Ward, which included an 87.8. Coverage grade, Dalvin Tomlinson in 85.4. I mean, I'm talking like nine players above 80, 13 players above 70, all of which was really encouraging. JOK had a 68.4, including a 78.5 in run defense, where he also had three stop tackles. So the only people who did not grade particularly well, uh, Maurice Hurst in 24 snaps at a 53.6, and then Tony Fields at a 48.1, and Isaiah McGuire a 42.1. Even though McGuire had a pressure that directly led to the interception, a part of it, uh, on the Sione Takitaki interception. I thought he did a great job bull rushing the quarterback. So, you know, I'm not discouraged by Isaiah McGuire, 15 snaps. It's just such a strong performance overall. It's hard to be upset about anything. Like I said, best run defense grade goes to Cam Mitchell. It had that stop. He was in the right place, fitting the run really well. You had JOK, 78.5. Rodney McLeod, 78.0. Okoronkwo, Jordan Elliott, Shelby Harris, Dalvin Tomlinson, Martin Emerson, Grant Delpit, all above 70. And like I said, McGuire and Fields are the only grades that are below acceptable levels. So strong defensive performance against the run where we know they held them to historic lows in that department, right? So uh, just, again, they, they fit really well. They did a good job with motion. There was only one time, if you watch Chalk Talk, where the Cardinals got them with a movement scheme where they kind of did a little wind back off of inside zone, split zone, got them once. But otherwise, man, the pressure was so chaotic. They... The yards before contact uh, were in the negatives for that game. You know, obviously getting penetration beyond the line of scrimmage, creating havoc. 
really strong all around. And again, it should be that they're better and they, they, you know, bound to prove it. They went out to prove it. Pass rush stuff. Shelby Harris, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson, Okoronkwo, all great strong. Shelby had two pressures, including the sack. Miles Garrett, three in a sack. Zadarius, four in a sack. Tomlinson, four total pressures and three sacks. A couple of those landed in his lap, but, you know, he's deserved it because he's been a direct catapult for other people's sacks at times. So cool to see that. All three of those came in true pass sets, which is also nice to see. Okoronkwo, four pressures. Mohurst, three pressures. Grant Delpit with two, where he, at the end of the game, they ran that. Again, it's on Chalk Tuck, a double, double edge pressure, a double nickel pressure, and he comes off the edge clean and just doesn't get tuned to the ground. He was pretty visibly frustrated with himself, although it led to, again, directly to a Dalvin Tomlinson sack, but I know Delpit certainly wanted to get in on the act there. Coverage grades, Taki Taki with that interception. He was uh, targeted twice, no catches with a pick, 92.8. Cam Mitchell, 90.4. Targeted five times, three catches, seven yards. Again, he looked really comfortable. That was an encouraging game. Denzel Ward, one catch on four targets, 14 yards, including an interception. You had Grant Delpit. Three catches on three targets, but only for 10 yards. Anthony Walker with a 74.9. Emerson with a 69.9 grade as well. Those are all your best marks in this one. Juan Thornhill to 64.9, but wasn't targeted. JOK a 52.8, one target for 12 yards. And then McLeod had uh, one target for five yards. Those are your two bottom scores as far as pass coverage goes, right? Uh, so that's the defensive side, which again was really dominant. Just wanted to sort of point that stuff out. The offense was a bit different. Obviously, looking at the snap count stuff, the Browns played. The uptick in this one is uh, for the year, the Browns have been a heavy 11 personnel team. Now, I was interested if this will change post Donovan Peoples-Jones, and we saw an early indication that it might. 68% 11 personnel through the first eight weeks, that was down to 53% in this game, largely due to the uptick in 12 personnel. They were a 6% 12 personnel team up to 15.5% in 12 personnel in this one. So 40 snaps from 11 personnel, 22 from 12 personnel. That's Akins or, or Bryant on the field with Njoku. And then uh, um, seven total snaps from 13 personnel. They're still bringing Hudson or Harris on as the additional player, the lineman, although Harris might need to be recategorized as a true fullback at this point. But nonetheless, those are your early indicators post-Donovan. The motion stuff, it was a vanilla game plan, man. It really was. There wasn't a ton of creativity. I don't think they did a lot of motion stuff. I don't think they did a lot of route nuance. I, I really think that they had an eye on the next week and didn't want to give too much away. I mean, I, I don't think the Browns should operate that way all too often, but in this one, it seemed to me that's what they did. The motion percentage was down 3% points, 38.4 on the year or on this game down from 42% uh, for the season. Uh, and again, that's 23rd in the NFL. The problem was the run game stuff player off here or there was really the problem. They had eight runs of zero or negative yards and 40 rushes, which is not good. It's not good, right? The Browns are 30th in the NFL right now, or zero or negative gain plays. And they also lead the NFL right now in first down run percentage, something they really need to work on rectifying, and hopefully they start to do so in Baltimore. Uh, but for perspective, I mean, the Cardinals had seven zero or negative rushes and 21 rush attempts, so half the attempts but only one less. So that tells a story uh, in and of itself. So Wanted to point those out. Six inside zone runs, which did not yield much success. 13 outside zone runs. 13 power counter gap runs is what I have documented from True Media. So, again, 
you know, the, the Cardinals' plan was pretty clear, aggressive downhill safety, sometimes pressuring, sometimes bracketing Cooper in the backside of three-by-one. They were doing a, some funky stuff, right, rotating between cover three and cover cover four. They played 31, uh, sorry, 21 snaps of cover three and 30 snaps of cover four for the Cardinals, so a significant amount of those, and they're jumping in between the two, and it created some chaos. They did a good job with it. You know, that's one part I think the Cardinals uh, actually have a pretty good future in that secondary large parts of it, and they played well. I mean, they really did a good job sniffing out Browns' run concept stuff, so uh, kudos to them. The Browns were able to put up a .03 EPA per dropback number while the Cardinals were negative 1.05, which was uh, pretty obvious, you know, given the results we saw from the Cardinals. But the the, the spot that Deshaun seemed to struggle with the most was against six-plus uh, rushers, and that's where his lowest pass grade came, under pressure, or when blitzed, he was four of six, 22 yards. He did get both touchdowns on blitzes, but the pass grade was a 59.4. That's when the chaos was there the most. He was six of 11 when under pressure, 58 yards of touchdown, but a 48.6 pass grade. While when he was kept clean, he had a 92.3 overall offense grade, 91.2 pass grade, where he was 13 of 19, 161 in a touchdown. So not blitzed, an 83.1, 15 of 24, 197. We'll see if he can get more comfortable with that stuff. As time wears on here, he gets more comfortable with playing, right? Play action grade, 4 of 4, 78 yards, so that got a high 88.4 pass grade. And then the uh, non-play action stuff, 15 of 26, 141, two touchdowns, a 70.6 grade. They did not run many screens for much success in this one. Only 20 yards on six screens, but they did complete six of them. So not the result we saw last week. The stuff from 20-plus was where the highest pass grade was found. He was 2 of 4. On 20-plus throws downfield, obviously both going to Cooper for 108 yards. The medium range didn't see many throws in that range, which was, I thought, because the Cardinals covered stuff well. I didn't think Deshaun was afraid to rip it. I just thought the coverage from the Cardinals was really good in this one. So there were only two attempts in that range, two of two for 28 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, one comes off a helmet ricochet. Uh, the short stuff, there was quite a bit of it, and it was inaccurate. 7 of 14, so 50% on throw 0 to 9 from depth is not obviously what you want to have. So a 62.0 grade, that's got to get a little bit better, obviously. They need that to get better. Some of the short, quick stuff, we'll see if they try to utilize similar stuff in Baltimore. From a sheer uh, perspective of uh, other numbers, 7 A dot. he had two drop passes, one by Ford, one by Njoku. He did throw for 10 first downs. Uh, he did end up taking just one sack. Uh, he had two big-time throws. One, I think, uh, obviously on the uh, – actually, both of them were to Cooper. Cooper ran a sort of uh, in, you know inside stem sail route where he worked back toward the sideline, uh, and I posted that one on Twitter, and then I posted the other one. Those were your two big-time throws. No turnover-worthy plays from Watson, which is a welcome change from what we've seen recently, both from himself and Indy. But obviously, P.J. Walker and Dorian Thompson-Robinson of late. Your highest snap count guys, Dewan Jones, Joel Batonio, Ethan Postage, and Wyatt Teller. You obviously get uh, 39 snaps from Hudson, 39 from Jedrick Wills, as there's the injury situation. We heard Jedrick Wills will be not placed on season-ending situation, but he'll be on IR, a chance to come back this year. So that is encouraging. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the sprains and stuff are not good, obviously. So um, hope for hopefully a speedy recovery for Jed. Uh, otherwise... Your highest snap count, guys. Watson played 67 snaps before he handed it off to P.J. Walker. He had 58 from Cooper, 56 from Njoku, 54 from Tillman. So obviously cutting into DPJ's number there a little bit. That's why Jordan Aikens had 19, Harrison Bryant 24. Elijah Moore had 45. 
Snaps Jerome Ford 47 to lead the running backs, 21 for Kareem Hunt, a, a significant drop down to five for Pierre Strong. I don't really know why. You got eight snaps from Marquise Goodwin, so that's your snap count stuff. As far as receiving grades go, uh, Amari, very dominant performance again, a 78.2, 24 snaps wide, 11 in the slot. It's honestly interesting that Amari plays 11 in the slot and Joku plays 12 and Elijah Moore plays 11. Cedric Tillman plays 13. So there's a wide amount of variance there. And that's something I don't think Cedric Tillman was really ready for that role, to be completely honest with you. Not that he was poor when the ball was thrown his way. He was only thrown his way once. But there were certainly instances where you saw Deshaun trying to get him lined up. And I think there's some stuff he's got to learn. You're talking about why is a young player not seeing the field, right? Guy that you see in camp, he's having some nice plays, preseason some nice plays. Well, I'm telling you the blocking's not good. That's a huge part of what they do. And it wasn't good in this game. wasn't good enough. And I think there's some stuff with the mental side of the game for a guy who ran a very limited route tree at Tennessee and usually lined up in the same place all the time. Some of that football uh, nuance he's got to get better at. And they're putting a lot in his lap, so he's got he's to step up to the plate right now and figure this stuff out. But that was not good enough on Sunday. Otherwise, Njoku is 61.5, caught four of six targets for 26 in the touchdown. I should have mentioned Cooper, five of five for 139. So... He also had a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin had zero catches on two attempts in his direction. Elijah Moore had two catches on 14. Still would love to see him get involved more. Downfield passing-wise, he's going to make his money in the 10 to 19 range. So you need to see an uptick in 10 to 19 usage for Elijah Moore to have a more refined wide receiver role. Uh, Kareem Hunt uh, did not have a catch on one target. Jerome Ford caught five of seven. He did have a drop, which was the a couple of those. I think he credited him for... I think he only got one drop, but he probably should have had two, in my opinion. Jordan Akins had one catch on three targets for 11 yards. They did not, I don't know if they charted him with a drop. They did. They gave him one drop. They did not give one to Njoku that I thought Njoku should have received. So I don't know if they're calling Akins low dive on the on the ground. I don't, <laughs> that's a tough drop to give a guy on that fourth down throw. So interesting stuff there. Cedric Tillman, one catch, three yards. Would like to see him more involved, obviously, for the snap count. Percentage, he's out there. Uh, first down catches, four for Amari Cooper. He had one from Njoku, one from Moore, two from Jerome Ford, one from Jordan Akins. So uh, those are your, your catch numbers stuff here. A dot was ridiculous uh, for, for depth of target. Amari Cooper, 21.6. You have the 36 number for Marquis Goodwin taking shots. They... Really would like to see them find some rhythm to him at some point. Just sort of lacking right now, right? Uh, 46 yards created for Jerome Ford after the catch. 24 for David Njoku. And then 33 from Amari Cooper. All right? Moving down to run game stuff now. Not going to be promising for anybody. 59.3 from Ford. 57.8 from Kareem Hunt. And then a 49 and three carries from Pierre Strong. So Ford was able to make three missed tackles happen. And then two from Kareem, 10 gap runs, 10, 10 zone runs from Jerome Ford. Kareem Hunt had six zone runs, eight gap runs. Nobody created a 15-yard breakaway run. There was only a couple carries, one from Watson on a third and nine for 11 yards, and then Kareem Hunt had one run for 10 yards. So a really, really disappointing day of 37 carries, 113 yards, and 3.1 yards per attempt. But at the end of the game, they are just trying to run the clock out. You know, so some of those predictable runs at the end of the game skew things a little bit, but I think we all watched the first three quarters to know they were not running the ball efficiently. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I just didn't think they were very good. I thought there was a guy or two off on a lot of snaps. 
We'll talk about run blocking grades here in just a moment. But you want to talk about why Jerome Ford's getting more carries, or sorry, more opportunities than anybody in the backfield. It's the pass blocking stuff. If I had to guess, Pierre Strong's liability and pass protection is a reason he's not finding the field as much as some of you think he deserves. So uh, something to keep in mind, you know, when you want to complain about that. And I, I get it. I mean, he certainly runs the best in terms of sheer speed than any of the others. So um, I understand the yearning, but I think there's a complete roundness to his game that is lacking right now from a trust from Stump Mitchell, AVP, and Stefanski. Pass blocking grades, Wyatt Teller gets the best mark and 33 opportunities. He did not give up a pressure. Joel Batonio, 83.6. Jerome Ford, 79. You had Postage with a 79.0. The guys who struggled, so you had three hurries allowed by Jedrick Wills, so a 63.6. James Hudson in 15 snaps allowed a hit and a hurry, so he gets a low 29.8. And then Dewan Jones allows three hurries as well in his 32 snaps, a 55.3. I thought this was the most rookie game that we have seen from Dewan Jones, so... I know he's beat up, but he's got to be better for them. They really need him to be better, which is a, a crazy thing to think of now with Conklin and, and Wills down, that you need that guy to be better. And Hudson, obviously, also has to step up to the plate in a big way. You know, they're really getting challenged depth-wise here, and it's not exactly what you want to see with the banged-up quarterback. Run-blocking grades, Jedrick Wills had the highest run-blocking grade, which is encouraging for him, a 75.5. Teller at a 71.5. Betonio is 69.3, and Joku is 67.9. Nick Harris, largely fullback stuff going on there, 64.1. And then I think fairly, as you go down toward the bottom, Dewan Jones at a 58.6, and that might be being a little bit generous. Hudson a 54.0. So those are your run blocking grades. And if you want to get more detailed, true pass sets, Betonio, or sorry, Teller was your strongest true pass set blocker Betonio gave up one hurry so his is down to a 74.7 Hudson actually in his five true pass sets didn't give up a pressure he had an 80.8 so that's some sliver of encouragement right um run blocking stuff your best zone blockers in this one Betonio Teller Jed Hudson were all guys above 68 62.9 from Postage I thought he was fine on the, the gap stuff is where they struggled. Jedrick Wills had the best gap grade, so encouraging game from Jed. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But you want to talk about, like, down toward the bottom in this one. You know, Teller at a 62.6. Dewan Jones a 60.3. Postage a 59.8. And Betonio a 57.8. So an uncharacteristically poor game in that phase for him. But, again, a weird game offensively with a very limited approach game plan-wise. I thought their most important focus was getting Deshaun Watson right. And I think they're trying to build from that. Uh, and I think that they're going to layer up a lot of the stuff they're doing to create some confusion for defenses because they need to make the Ravens think on defense. Is that, that If they don't and you let them play reactionary, tendency-based football, uh, I have a bad feeling about how it can go. Because the Ravens, you want to talk about the Browns are putting up some historic stuff. The success percentage on a drive-to-drive basis for the Ravens right now rivals their 2,000 defense. They're playing really good football before we leave the door i want to talk about specials guys who played the most special team snaps mike ford matt adams d'anthony bell mahmoud diabate tony fields those are your highest snap count guys and specials best grades for the game pierre strong 76.7 73.6 for jok fields with a 72 ford with a penalty on a hold on a punt return which was a bummer uh, and, and did have a missed tackle but he graded out well 
uh, in terms of compared to his peers. At the bottom, Delpit and his five special snaps, Diabate, DeAnthony Bell, uh, those guys are at the bottom. And again, I didn't notice anything vastly wrong with specials. I thought they covered punts pretty well. I thought they covered kickoffs pretty well. So I don't have anything to really complain about, but they're kind of picking into the fine details of staying in lanes and stuff like that on punt, kick, and you know, are you getting your block secured on kick return? So there's some of that stuff that goes into the grading of that uh, that I just don't quite on Mondays breaking down both sides of the ball have time for. I'll maybe give a more like layered up special teams analysis later in the year where give some feedback on how good some of the guys are doing this stuff. The kicking game stuff was fun, right? Uh, the punt return Prochet had six punt returns for 71 yards, 11.8 per return. That was fantastic stuff. Need to see that continue. Uh, if you can get 11 yards per return in a punt scenario, those are great outcomes. And then Corey Bohorquez was obviously really great in this one. He gets a 72.6, seven attempts, 410 yards with a 58.6 average of 46.0 net, two downed inside the 20. And I thought there was a third that had a chance to be downed inside the 10, uh, but the, the guys didn't do a good job of tracking it. I thought Bohorquez flipped the field really, really well. And then, Field goals, we saw our first miss of any significance, a 40- to 49-yard range for Hopkins that league just left, but still doing well. I have no problem with Dustin Hopkins. So um, striking the ball well, kickoffs are, are fine. There was a couple kickoffs that were kind of short, but the wind swirling and some stuff like that, I, again, encouraged by where Dustin Hopkins is for the Browns right now. So anyway, guys, that's a wrap. It's a great show, a lot of different stuff, a lot of different topics, a lot of different information. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Always open to feedback on these comprehensive breakdowns for things you're looking for and obviously you can throw those into the mailbag we've had some early questions come up for that so uh, exciting stuff 27 nothing win browns are going to go into a huge afc north game and we are here to cover all of it for you at the obr so rate and review the pod on your way out the door we'll have all the content you need including an opportunity for you guys to get involved in the creation of that content with the mailbag and the questions you ask so take advantage of that opportunity appreciate you guys have a fantastic tuesday and go browns